The Informed Fitness Podcast with Adam Zickerman and co-host Mike Rogers is a presentation of Informed Fitness Studios, a small family of personal training facilities specializing in safe, efficient, high-intensity strength training. On our bi-monthly podcast, Adam and Mike discuss the latest findings in the areas of exercise, nutrition, and recovery with leading experts and scientists. We aim to debunk the popular misconceptions and the urban myths that are so prevalent in the fields of health and fitness, and to replace those sacred cows with scientific-based, up-to-the-minute information on a variety of subjects. We'll cover exercise protocols and techniques, nutrition, sleep, recovery, the role of genetics in the response to exercise, and much more. On this episode, Why We Get Fat Part 2, we welcome back national best-selling author Gary Taubes. It's a physician who's overweight. I say, why don't you try it yourself as an experiment? It's not going to kill you to go without carbs for two months. You know, if at the end of two months you haven't, don't feel healthier, you haven't lost weight, your blood pressure hasn't come down, your waist size hasn't gotten smaller, go back to eating potato chips. Well, we're back with Gary Taubes. He is the co-founder of the Nutrition Science Initiative and author of The Case Against Sugar, Why We Get Fat, and the tome, Good Calories, Bad Calories. And I'm here again with Mike Rogers and Neil Holland. To continue our conversation, uh, I would like to talk about a recent article that you wrote in Canada's The Globe and Mail. You make so many good points in it, and I hope we get to cover most of them. And we'll put the link to it in our show notes. Totally worth the read. And correct me if I'm wrong, Gary, but I believe it's a response to the recent resurgence and popularity of the low-carbohydrate, high-fat diet particularly the ketogenic diet, or like we mentioned in the last episode, keto for short. And while you admit that much more research needs to be done, you take exception to calling ketogenic diets a fat, correct? Uh, yeah. Well, one of the, again, the, the reason I wrote that is there's this dichotomy that's emerged. So when I look back, I got into this right around the year 2000. And since then, when I first started Doing this research, there were, I, mean, I figured there were maybe a dozen physicians in America who were pushing low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diets, you know, and, and half of them had written books about them. So, you know, you had the Atkins and, and the, the Eads, Mike and Mary Dan Eads and the Sugar Buster people. And at the time, if you wanted to lose weight, they accepted the idea was you had to eat less, basically. You had to eat a calorie-restricted diet, maybe cut 500 calories or 1,000 calories a day, and it had to be a low-fat diet. And these ketogenic diets would kill people. You know, Atkins was a quack, and he was a con man and a shyster, and that's it. So now you come 19 years or 18 years into the future, and we've now got thousands, maybe a few tens of thousands of physicians around the world who have decided, that, like you guys, that these low-carb, high-fat ketogenic diets just make their patients healthier. So if you can get people with obesity and diabetes to eat this way, it's a way of eating, it's not a short-term diet, you can put their obesity in remission. That's one way to think about it. You get significant weight loss, you can put their diabetes in remission and get them off their diabetes drugs and their hypertension drugs and they have chronic pain that tends to get better and 
a few years ago, 2017, there was a letter to the Huffington Post co-authored by 100 plus physicians in Canada saying, look, not only do we eat low carb, high fat ketogenic diets, but that's what we prescribe our patients. We see these remarkable results and we can't unsee them. That's a phrase these Canadians like we can't unsee what we're seeing yeah. and we're not changing. We're not going back to the, you know, we were, we used to eat the conventional diets or the healthy conventional, healthy way of eating. Our patients did, you know, some of us were vegetarians, some of us were vegan, some of them were world-class athletes and they were getting fatter or they were getting diabetic. They had become pre-diabetic anyway. And when they shifted to this low carb, high fat, Atkins like eating, they got healthy. And when they prescribed it to their patients. And then the flip side is you still have organizations like every year, US News and World Reports has a committee of, you know, quote, expert nutritionists and authorities who decide on what the healthiest diets are. And they always say the same thing. And the low carb, high fat ketogenic diets come in the least healthy diets imaginable. Like I think they included 39 or 40 diets and these ketogenic diets were 35 to 40. And were they basing it? Uh, they're basing it on the assessment of the experts and the experts are the people who for the last 50 years have been telling us we should eat less and not too much and mostly plants and you know, a Mediterranean diet and all the things we've been doing and getting fatter anyway doing. So I wanted to sort of explore this conflict. And you've got physicians more and more every year saying, if I can get my patients to eat this way, I can get them healthy, get them off their drugs. Yeah. You quoted one doctor saying, you know, maybe it's not that my patients aren't listening to my old advice. Maybe my advice stinks or has in the past. <laughs> well, this is one of the problems with people like us is we can sound like zealots. Mm -hmm. So you spend your whole life getting fatter and you try everything and you're dieting all the time. And then suddenly you try this low carb, high fat thing and your excess weight goes away. Or you're a diabetic, which is a, you've got you're a physician who's got a patient who's a type two diabetic. So let me tell you the story I tell in this article, which resonated with me and I'll see if I could tell it without tearing up. So this was by a, a physician uh, associate professor at uh, in, in Virginia. And she gets a call one day from a client, an endocrinologist who says, look, I got a patient in my office. She's 24 years old. She thought she was healthy and I just diagnosed her with type 2 diabetes. And her hemoglobin A1C is over 10, which means when hemoglobin A1C, as you guys know, is a measure of blood sugar control and under six is under five and a half is considered healthy. Over 10, you're supposed to start the patient on insulin. So she's got this woman sitting in her office who she's supposed to start on insulin, doesn't even know that she was sick. And she calls this Dr. Sue Wolver and she says, Sue, can you help her? And Sue's got a six month waiting list to get into her practice. But she says, send her over, tell her I'll see her tomorrow morning. And the next morning, this woman comes in, Sue explains to her that how to eat a low carb, high fat ketogenic diet, uh, what you have to do, which is just don't eat carbs and replace it with fat. And she says, I've got a course that's starting on, you know, you come to the course that I teach every Thursday evening, we'll teach you how to pick foods, how to cook and all this stuff. But by even Thursday, the woman has already started. 
And then Sue tells me, now let's flash forward three months later. She just came in a few weeks ago for her three months checkup. She's lost 30 pounds. Her hemoglobin A1C is down below six. She's no longer diabetic. And she says, I tell her this and she's crying and I'm crying. And I call the endocrinologist who comes over and she's crying. And Sue is telling me this story because you've got to see that I've given this woman her life back. Instead of managing a chronic disease for entire life, which is what this, you know, what doctors do with type 2 diabetics, is you, you know the routine, you're just managing drugs and increasing insulin doses until they eventually die from the, the, the side effects of the disease. Instead, she's healthy. You know, I feel like I, as she said, I feel like I've cured cancer. And yeah, well, she saved her life, right? So in a sense, she did. Yeah, and it, it's it's... How can you stop these people from being zealous and passionate about this? And in, when I told you in our previous episode, yeah, I interviewed over 100 doctors for my, my next book, or it's about 90 physicians, some dietitians, there was a dentist, a few exercise physiologists, some chiropractors. Um, a lot of these people said it's like medicine is fun for me. I didn't go into medicine to manage disease, to manage chronic disease. I went into medicine to make people healthier, and now I can do it. So what do you say to people when they hear your story, your, your personal story with Atkins, and they even hear the story that you just told? I mean, they still say, well, that's great, but it's still anecdotal. Oh, it's anecdotal. And yeah, it's an anecdote. What, what can you make of it? And it depends who the person is. So if it's a physician who's saying that's great, it's just an anecdote, then my response is, okay, it is an anecdote, but there are you know, hundreds of thousands of them out there. And... What I would want you to do is the next time you, you know, your waiting room, everyone's waiting rooms are getting more and more crowded with patients with obesity and type 2 diabetes and hypertension and metabolic syndrome, it's called. When these patients come in, why don't you try this and see if this anecdote can be reproduced in your patient population? If it's a physician who's overweight, I say, why don't you try it yourself as an experiment? It's not going to kill you to go without carbs for two months. You know, if at the end of two months you... They haven't, don't feel healthier, you haven't lost weight, your blood pressure hasn't come down, your waist size hasn't gotten smaller, go back to eating potato chips. I don't care. But try it. And that's the message. How do you get people to try it? Because again, 20 years ago, the assumption was if you did it, you'd drop dead the next day. And when I wrote this New York Times Magazine article about it, I um, this, at the end, I described sitting in my local diner in New York, which, of course, has since closed, which is one of the reasons we moved to Oakland. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love this place. I had breakfast there every morning in my life, you know, greasy eggs, bacon, sausage, hold the potatoes, hold the toast. And I would look at the eggs and bacon and wonder how it's going to kill me. Clearly, it's going to kill me because that's what we had been taught. And now, at least 20 years later, people accept that it's not. And so you could try it and see what happens, see how you feel. So given all this anecdotal evidence, then why do we even, why are we bothering with studies? It's almost like, it's like obvious, right? That this works. So what, what, do, we, what do we need studies for? Okay, so that's the interesting thing because people say, well, there aren't long-term studies. You don't need a study to find out if you lose weight effortlessly on a diet. Okay, so that you don't need. I could go on Atkins, I could become vegan tomorrow. And if I feel better, Great. Well, you know, that's, I don't care what a study shows. Like if I have, I have tinnitus, for instance, I, my ears, 
had buzzes all day long. And if I were to become a vegan and the tinnitus went away, that would be such a blessing that I would probably stay a vegan. By the way, I had tinnitus before I tried Atkins, so I don't have to link the two. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like if you've got a symptom and you're going to die and the symptom goes away, then heck, stick with the diet. What you need the clinical trial for is to know, one, whether there's a better diet. So maybe I go vegan and my tinnitus gets a little better, but if I went uh, ovo-lacto-vegetarian and added eggs and dairy to the vegan diet, I would the clinical trial would show that the tinnitus might get even better still. So now I have a motivation to try the you know, ovo-lacto-vegetarian diet. The other thing you need clinical trials for is long-term harm. Maybe this diet's going to kill us eventually. Maybe... And there are a couple ways to think about this, and I'll tell you my favorite. I have a, a lot of acquaintances now in the world. So one of them is a woman who on her Instagram account pointed out she'd lost, she was 380, she went on a ketogenic diet, she lost 150 pounds. And her friends started worrying that bacon would kill her. So they never cared about what I ate when I weighed 380, but now that I've lost 150 pounds, they're saying the bacon's going to kill me. Yeah. It's hard to believe that she's not healthier at 230 with bacon than healthier at 380 without, but you could do clinical trials to find that out. Maybe there's something about eating bacon that she's going to chug along at 230, perfectly happy for 10 years, and then her heart's going to blow up, whereas she might have lasted 30 years at 380 without bacon. And clinical trials can give you a probabilistic estimate of whether that's going to happen. I, th I, th I, was just, I was just thinking about like uh, anecdotes and stuff like that. And like, for example, like Bill Clinton, a few years ago, he, you know, read the China study, I think, and became a vegan and all of his health markers improved. And, and to be honest with you, I'm like, hey, OK, <laughs> if that works for him, then fine. That's good. You know, I mean, uh, it, it seems like uh, something that doesn't really make sense for me. And I don't have any desire to do that. I don't have any problems like he had before. But I thought it was, uh, um, you know, when, when people sort of look at examples like that, I, I, I kind of, like uh, you know, invite them to try it and see if it actually works out for them. Well, that's the thing. And so I, there was a period when this Netflix film, What the Health, came out. So What the Health is like the vegan or vegetarian propaganda. Um, and it's compelling. If you don't know anything about the science and you watch this show, you're likely to want to become vegan for your health, not for ethical reasons, but because you think it's the healthiest way to eat. And so I had doctors say to me, what should I, what do you think I should say to them? I have patients coming in who say, I want to go vegan. And I said, just let them, you know, <laughs> it's fine. Just tell them, let's, let's do a, you know, a, a, a comprehensive panel of tests to see what your baseline health is. Cause if you go vegan and you get less healthy, then it's probably not the way to eat. And if you go vegan and you get healthier and you're happy that way, that's fine. But then you would need the clinical trial to tell you, is it healthier to go vegan or to go, you know, LCHF ketogenic? That the clinical trial could give you that information. It's interesting about Clinton because he did get healthier. You also always have to ask when people go vegan or vegetarian, just like when they go low carb, high fat, they give up a lot of the crap in their diets, you know, the food-like substances. So they stop drinking beer and sodas and eating desserts and sweets. And they, somebody might say, I go vegan, and that means they also stopped eating cocoa Krispies for breakfast and instead ate 
I don't know, kale smoothie. So there are a lot of things that change and they feel healthier, but you don't know if it's because they gave them meat. And as you notice, as Clinton went along, he started to not look so good. He has a tremble in his hands. He emaciated. I mean, that being the spouse of a presidential candidate probably is exhausting. So I can't swear I wouldn't look better. True. Um, and then I think I'm pretty sure he's not a vegan now. Yeah, that's what I, was say. I think he gave that up. Yeah. And that's the thing. So you try the diet and you might feel better in the first three months. Yeah. And then you find after a year you're not feeling so good, then ideally you will try something else. Uh, one of the arguments I wanted to make in this, this Globe and Mail article, one of the arguments I'm making in my new book is you, you know, if we're, we have some kind of chronic ailment, whether it's excess fat or diabetes or hypertension or chronic pain or anything, it makes sense to do these experiments. And if somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I gave up carbs and my chronic pain went away and you've got a chronic pain problem, I try giving up carbs and seeing if it works. And if it does, then you could decide if it's worth, if you miss, you know, the donut, beer, chronic pain trade-off. Maybe you miss donuts so much you're willing to live with the pain. I don't know. But it makes sense to do these experiments because the medical community clearly has stopped helping us after a while on these things. Hey, uh, Gary, I have a question that this kind of all has me thinking about and the idea of um, you know, how do you convince people they're skeptical despite seeing all these results, you know, personally, uh, I remember I had a client once who was diabetic, uh, on the meds and I advised they, they adhere to a low carb, high fat diet. They lost like 80 pounds. They went into their doctor. The, their doctor was like, this is wonderful. We, we can get you off the meds. What have you been doing? And as soon as that person said what they'd been doing, the doctor was like, absolutely not. You should be eating a couple of slices of whole wheat bread a day, a sweet potato. He was concerned um, about ketoacidosis. And so I, I, I put all this information, studies together, sent it to the doctor. Doctor refused to get on the phone with me, but conveyed to, to the client, uh, your, your trainer is not incorrect. However, I still want you to do what I, I said. So I'm just curious what you would say to to, to people that, that you know, it's, it's hard to find a doctor that is going to is going to be on board with this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, here we are trying to advise them. Not as, a, not as hard as it was 20 years ago, yeah. right, Gary? As you yeah, said. that's the thing. So one, it's, it's getting easier. And it's funny, again, in, in my book, I do have sort of steps, the new book, steps to go through to transition to this way of eating. And the first step is find an informed doctor. Right. And if you can't, if your physician won't read at least one book on this subject and find another doctor, it's just you, you've got the wrong doctor anyway, if they're that close minded. Yeah, it's a problem. I mean, it happens less and less what you're describing. I think more and more people are become are they're having their minds open to the fact that this is a relatively, you know, that clinic probably over 100 clinical trials suggesting this is a healthier way to eat than any other. So at the very least. You know, you say, look, why don't they, they, you tell your patient, your physician might freak out, especially like the LDL cholesterol goes up, which often happens on these diets. So, I mean, it's fascinating. There's a company in San Francisco called Verda Health, which is putting type 2 diabetics on nutritional ketosis. Um, so basically ketogenic diets with health coaches and 
telemedicine physicians always on the other side of a telephone to help. And their results, they've now had patients they've been following for two years, and they have 24 markers of you know, cardiovascular risk and diabetes risk, and 23 of them get better on this diet. One of them, LDL cholesterol, gets worse, which is God's joke. Because the physicians have been trained to think LDL cholesterol is the be-all and end-all of heart health, and so human health. You've got to convince your clients, look, this is what your physician might say, and if he does say that, then the client should say, look, I'm clearly healthier than I was. Can we just, let me keep doing what we were doing, and maybe we could just keep running tests and following my health status. And if something should go awry, we can jump on it. Even if LDL goes up, you can always put them on a low-dose statin. I'm not a fan, but they're cheap. And other than that, I'd just say get another doctor. Fine, we can find a doctor in every state. There are 10 doctors in every state who are now informed about the health benefits of eating this way. Do you think this controversy will end? I mean, once and for all, uh, do you think the food pyramid will completely change to, to the LC? Do you think the American, in other words, will the ADA finally say this is the way we should be eating, the way they've been so staunch about the food pyramid all these uh, for the last 60 years? No, I don't think the controversy will ever end. I think at some point they will say, I mean, there are different levels of controversy. So they're already saying refined grains and sugars. Funny, 20 years ago, a healthy diet was defined by being a low-fat, low-salt diet. Today, they'll say it's a, you know, it's got no sugars and no white bread. So they're moving in the right direction. They'll probably accept that these diets, as ADA already will say that these diets can be used for a year because that's all the clinical trials we have for weight loss or diabetes control, and I think they'll move in that direction. The USDA will probably take longer to get there because saying people should eat a low-carb diet is like saying people should not eat many of the food products that our agricultural industry creates, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture is the supposed to support those agricultural industries. That's partially what they do, so it's hard for them to ever go there. I think we'll get to the point that some of these things, already you hear people saying, oh, no one ever said it was only about calories in, calories out. Oh. You know, what? And it's like... Gary, Gary, how much does that... Uh, you, you mentioned the Cochrane collaboration in your article and how, you know, basically what they've been able to find, you know, uh, in regards to the uh, the biases and stuff. And I, and I really love in your article how you said, put simply, if this were a legal case, saturated fat would be easily acquitted. And uh, I thought that was um, very interesting. But my my question is kind of about, like, aren't doctors, aren't these organizations, I mean, is that does that have credibility with them, the Cochrane Collaboration? Um, and why aren't they looking at that? I guess the answer is no. They, they don't really pay attention. They, you know, the, the organization like the American Heart Association – which will review these guidelines every five years, will put together a committee of learned experts. And the learned experts are senior figures in the field. And these senior figures in the field have created, in effect, the conventional wisdom, or they've inherited the conventional wisdom and reinforced it. And then those experts will put together a committee of people they respect. And the people they respect, this is true of all of us, are people who think just like they do. 
this is sort of classic groupthink phenomena. So these, for the most part, these organizations will just keep recapitulating what they've always said. And it doesn't matter what anyone else says. If there's somebody like the Cochrane collaboration comes in, and even the Cochrane thing, I, I picked and chose what I want out of their abstract. At the end of the abstract, so they say there's no real evidence that saturated fat raises, causes heart attacks, and there's even less evidence that saturated fat will shorten your life. But there's some evidence, and therefore maybe if these studies were done better, we would have more evidence. And so maybe people should limit saturated fat. And when I hear a sentence like maybe people should limit saturated fat, that also means the fact that maybe they shouldn't. And we don't know. So, but if somebody like, you know, one of these dogmatists in the saturated fat world would read that Cochrane collaboration, they would point to one sentence and I would point to another. What happens in these worlds is you you know, we all do it. We all select the evidence we like that agrees with us. Confirmation bias, I think they call that. Confirmation. And it's just, we all do it. You can't escape it. No. So, I mean, we try. A good scientist tries to escape it, but it's difficult. So they'll point out, you know, the glass is half empty, and they'll point out that it's half full, and I'll point out that it's half empty. And because it's half empty, I think we could all eat butter and bacon, and I hope I'm right. And because it's half full, they say none of us should eat butter and bacon, and they know they're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Gary. Always, as always, it was very insightful. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate it very much. It was a real pleasure. Thanks, guys. Hopefully, you'll come back on when uh, your your new book comes out. That would be great. I would love to. I would love to. This has been the Inform Fitness Podcast with Adam Zickerman. For over 20 years, Inform Fitness has been providing clients of all ages with customized personal training designed to build strength fast. Visit informfitness.com for testimonials, blogs, and videos on the three pillars, exercise, nutrition, and recovery.